your brother's hungry? Don't you know your sister's lonely? Don't you know there's babies crying? Don't you know your brother's dying? Greetings. I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashe Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. Greetings and welcome to season three of Black Folks Do Therapy. I am Dr. Anthony Smith, your host, who is back and ready to attack. We've taken a break to get some things done working on a book and that's actually what we're going to talk about today i'm going to be interviewed by my publisher and the columnist that did my foreword and they're going to ask me about the book and we're going to chop it up and talk about what it is i've been working on that will hopefully bring uh, a lot of healing to our community but before we get started, I decided that this season I want to begin each podcast by highlighting a different black owned business um, so that we begin to think about supporting businesses that need our help and allowing the dollars to recycle in our community at a much higher rate than they do currently. Something I was thinking about from childhood i've been using a particular brand of butter land of lakes butter and a particular brand of laundry detergent tide and as i thought about every time i buy one of those products i give money to those companies this is this case with bread as well these um nature's own honey wheat bread that's what i use and I'm particular about buying those brands. I don't buy other things. I get accustomed to them and I keep doing the same thing, which most of us do. There's a psychology behind how we stay attached to the things that we know. Well, I came across a website information for three brothers in Chicago who have a black owned bread company. In fact, the name is called Black Bread Company. And I was thinking, wow, I buy bread all the time. I must spend, if I add it up over the course of um, a year, I've got to spend at least $60 on bread. Why am I giving that $60 to Nature's Own when I could be giving it to these brothers and helping them to build their uh, business out? Not only are they black owned but they are giving back to the community donating a loaf of bread to homeless shelters in their city um, and other things that they get involved in and, and make donations of bread to to sustain different communities so all in all it is just a wonderful opportunity to one break a pattern 
uh, of behavior that doesn't really serve me, but also contribute to a business that allows for the building up of our community. So I'm going to highlight this company this month. Their website is blackbreadco.com, blackbreadco.com. And you can sign up for, if you just want to get a couple of shipments, um, if you want to become a monthly subscriber, which is what I do, um, get my six loaves a month and just have it wrote, you know, on a repetitive basis. And if I'm not going to use all six, I can give them away to somebody here who I have, who, who's a friend of mine who has kids or something that's going to eat bread because I might not eat quite six loaves. I probably might eat three loaves. So I'll find a way, something to do with the other three. But they have other quantities that you can subscribe to as well. I just was trying to be cost effective. So I would encourage you, they have premium white bread and they have honey wheat bread. I'm a wheat person myself because I think that's healthier. So, but to each his own. We're not going to dictate what it is that you should get. But we're just going to encourage you to support this black-owned bread company. They will ship it out within a few days and you will have your fresh bread. I typically will freeze the ones that I'm not using until I'm ready to use them. I take them out of the freezer, let them thaw out, and I'm ready to go. Um, have my peanut butter and jelly or my um, salmon on the sandwich. Uh, sometimes I will, of course I have toast every, every other morning or so. Um, but yeah, bite. Support the Black-Owned Bread Company, Black Bread Company, blackbreadco.com, and fill your stomach up with some good-tasting, nutritious bread cooked by black folk. All right, so that's our commercial for this month. Support them, and we will now move into our topic of the day. Thanks for joining us, and we're excited for this start of season three. Greetings and welcome to our next episode in our new season of Black Folks Do Therapy. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Smith, and I thank you for joining us for another remarkable season. We're going to kick off this year with a publication I've been working on, um, which has had me in the, in the house, in the office working hard to get this book out, birthing this book. And today we have two guest interviewers who are going to interview me to talk about the book. Um, we have the publisher uh, of the book, Dr. Vanessa O'Neill, who is going to be one of the co-interviewers. And we have the columnist, writer, Barry Saunders, who is currently writing with the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer and his own publication, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll let them talk more about themselves and what they do uh, as we're going along, and we're just going to have a conversation about what has been uh, the birthing of my inaugural uh, publication. So thank you all for joining and for being willing to do this. Um, the title of my book is No More Trauma, No More Drama, A Psychologist's Path to Healing. So 
Welcome, um, Barry and Vanessa. Thank you all for joining us today. How are you all doing? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you very much for having me also. Okay, good. So I'm going to throw it over to you all and let you all direct the course of how we're going to have this conversation, given that I'm the interviewee. <laughs> so. Okay, so I'll start. Um, and I'm going to ask you the basic question. What made you write the book? You know, I've been thinking about writing a book for, I would say, 20 years now. And people have constantly asked me or, or told me that I should write a book as they hear various parts of my story and just hear me doing the work that I do in the way that I do it. So when people come in and I'm talking to them about their various issues and I'm giving them feedback, a lot of times they'll say, wow, that is that needs to be in a book. I need to read that. And they'll take notes and write things down and even want to quote me. And I've always found that kind of <laughs> unnerving. But at some point I got comfortable with it and recognized that I do have something to say, something to offer. And so over the years, since that time, I, I began just writing things down. And I, I'd get these spurts of energy where I would write stuff and then I'd stop and then I'd write some more and then I'd stop and then I'd set a goal, set a deadline and then I just wouldn't get it all completed. Uh, and so here recently I got um, a final kick in the pants if you will to go ahead and, and get it started. I think the universe and the creator was like alright enough of this. Um, we're going to make it very plain and very clear that this has got to get done and the skies just opened up with opportunities for me to go ahead and do the push to make it happen, which is why I was saying at the beginning, um, I just basically went back into dissertation mode where I was uh, every weekend, every evening was working on getting this book out and getting it birthed. Um, and I must say at times I was like, why am I doing this? Nobody's gonna wanna read this. Um, and then sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. People might want to read it. Um, and then as I finally got it finished, I really do feel like this is a great work and it's going to help a lot of people. And so I'm really excited about it. And so that's why I wrote the book. Well, I've read it and I'm certain that it's going to help a lot of people. You know, this is Barry Saunders. And Dr. Smith, me being a journalist for about 40 years, I sometimes have to reveal personal things about myself in my writings. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, in writing the book, did you find yourself revealing things about yourself mm -hmm. uh, that were personal? Absolutely. There was a, really the entire second part of the book is about my own personal uh, struggle with trauma. And that was by design. I felt like I wanted to, you know, when people come into my office, they are at their most vulnerable and they're in a space where if they don't share what's really going on it's hard to really do the healing that's necessary it's like putting a band-aid on it you have to deal with all of the issues as they are and work through them from that way and so as I was writing this book it occurred to me that I can't ask people to do that and not be willing to do it myself, number one. But number two, it, there's, there's a strength in being able to um, 
as the psychologist, be able to say that I'm human too, and I've had experiences that um, people would not believe <laughs> that are quite incredible. And if I can do the work to bring forth healing for myself and model that for other people, then they can know that they can do it as well. And so I took it upon myself to be very disclosing and very, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of details that are, you know, not necessarily flattering. But we all have a story and we all have issues and times in our life where we haven't been our absolute best. Um, that's part of being human. And if we are able to just accept and appreciate that rather than trying to hide it, as, as often is the case, particularly in our community, you know, we try to hide stuff. I have a whole chapter where we talk about, you know, keep your business out of the streets. And, you know, we're all familiar with that refrain and the reasons for that. But we have to move beyond that and um, embrace the things that are going to bring true healing for ourselves. And I think that um, sharing my story will help people to do that. One of the things you state in your book, and having read it over and over and over again <laughs> several times, but one of the things you stated in your book is that um, when you have trauma already and then you're having to relive or reread, re-see, you know, whatever the traumatic experience is, that creates more trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And in this book, you've had to relive your experiences, recall them, right? Mm -hmm. Write them down and then, you know, continue to go over them several times, right? So how in understanding that, you know, reliving trauma creates more trauma, right? Mm -hmm. How did you process that? I mean, how did you how were you able to get not only through it, but how were you able to deal with reliving the the traumatic experience, but also processing through the trauma? Sure, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a very good question. And interestingly enough, having done the work so that I would say for the past nine years, I have been living my life fully. You know, so my, my favorite thing to say and to encourage people to do is to live their life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. Like, that is my model. That's the way I adopted that from my good friend, Hanif, um, in, in uh, Oakland. And um, I've made it my own. And, I, and my sister here just recently shortened it to 86 fold. <laughs> so rather than saying 86,400 seconds every single day, she just says 86 fold. And so I'm like, okay, I can, I can roll with that. We're going we gonna to shorten and make 86.4. But um, because I have been living that way for the past nine years um, and not really focusing on the things that have happened to me previously in my life, um, I, I, it allowed me to move away from those things. And going back and re rethinking about them, writing about them, reliving some of the things that I that I really honestly had forgotten or pushed out of my head. It was like, wow, I really went through a lot. And it even brought up some feelings that I wasn't expecting to feel. And so it helped me to appreciate that healing is not a destination, I don't think. I think it is something that we continue to um, 
there are different iterations of healing. Like we continue to evolve from that. And it's important to stay aware of the things that can become, um, we use the word triggers, you know, that's a popular word to use now. So things that can trigger us and cause us to kind of relapse back to those old feelings that we might have had before. And then some of those feelings did come up, feelings of loss, feelings of sadness, feelings of disappointment, frustration, anger. Um, they came up, but they didn't, I didn't allow them to stay with me and predominate. It's about understanding and appreciating those feelings and looking at, wow, this was, um, these were significant things that happened to me um, and helped me to develop into the person that, that I am now. Um, and hopefully uh, in, a, in a way that can uh, be a model for helping other people to move through their trauma and not relive it. Even as we get reminders, it's like you cannot go and you have this, I was in Gambia recently and looking at this huge baobab tree that was over 500 years old, just amazing specimen of a tree. And to think that that huge tree started from a very, very small seed and grew into that. Well, you can't go to year one or year 10 of that tree and say, oh, we didn't like this year, let's just cut that out. Those years were a part of that tree becoming the great monumental thing that it was. So every experience that I've had similar to that tree made me who I am today. And I absolutely am in love with the person that I am today and the way that I'm living life. So um, even though those events brought some pain and brought some turmoil and brought some crying, they help to shape and form who I am now. And so I, I embrace uh, those experiences and I just looked at it as I got to get through this because um, these words are going to uh, be beneficial and I can always do the work. Even though it knocks me off for a minute, I know how to do the work to get myself back in line with being in that 86 fold. Right. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, I was frankly stunned at how frank and open you were in the book. And that's one of the things that kept me turning the pages because it was so um, intriguing. But do you find that cathartic? And also, does it help your patients relate to you better when they see the things that you've had to deal with in your life? Mm, absolutely. That's one of the things that I think um, really was an impetus for me going ahead and, and writing it. You know, when I talk to somebody in the office and someone can say, oh, you don't know what it's like to be dealing with this custody thing and not seeing your kids, and, and I'm just listening to them say, you don't know what it's like. And I say, well, actually, um, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> and as I begin to share my story and, and just watch their eyes go, wow, because they would never Look, they see me as the psychologist, got it all together, nothing ever happened, you just went through life, got your degree, and now you're sitting here, you know, suggesting to us how we should live our lives. And it's like, no, that's really not what it is. I'm human as well, and I've had to deal with, you know, just as many trials and tribulations as anybody else. And so watching people really gravitate and, and, sh and say to me, because um, the academy doesn't really... Um, teach people in, in the profession to disclose. It's almost like you have to have this distance, this professional distance, um, which 
you know, I think our people, because I'm focused on, you know, working with our people, we need somebody that we can touch, that we can reach out and connect with. Um, so it's different. And so when I'm able to self-disclose and take down the veil and let people see authentic, authentically who I am, that provides another level to the healing that people can really appreciate and touch and say, wow, okay, if he can do it, I can do it too. Here's somebody who's telling me in real time, like, he had to go years without seeing his children. I'm talking about just a couple weekends. It, it puts it into context, and it also um, helps people appreciate that there was work that I had to do to move off of those moments where uh, it wasn't so... Um, it wasn't such a happy time for me um, and, and going through those different difficulties. So being able to share and model that, people have given me good, uh, lots of feedback about how it has helped. And that has only encouraged and um, continued my resolve to share my story because it's a story. And it is not a reflection of who I am today. It is a story. So going through the process of, um, you know, we, walking with you, you know, through this journey of creating this book, right, from the very beginning. And I was also one when I read it because he asked, he literally asked me to come out of retirement, <laughs> right? And I had told him, mm -mm, I don't want to do that. But then I read, you know, the book and it wasn't even finished yet, right? Like we were halfway through it. And so in reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it spoke to me, you know, so I'm like, this is going to be beneficial to a lot of people, right? And so going through that process with you, um, there was a point where I think it was in the first draft of, like, the actual first draft of the three quarters of a way finished book, right? And I remember saying, you know, you get to a point and you, you stop. You're not, you're, you're telling us about situations, but you're not you know, telling us how you process, how you end it, you know. And that was kind of like peeling back that onion, right, where you were saying just now that, you know, in the profession we learn to, we learn to just kind of, you know, kind of be separate, you know, from it. Once you pulled back the veil on this, right, you really started, um, that's where your writing process really began, right? Was that cathartic for you? Was it uh, once you got to that point where you said, okay, I'm just going to, you know, peel back this, this, this layer, you started writing, your flow really started moving. Was there a point of cathartic there or was it more process for you? Yeah, I think it was more process. I, I, because, and, and that's because I've done so much work to move beyond being defined by those experiences. And moving beyond even carrying those negative emotions of anger or frustration or this was done to me and this isn't fair. You know, it's like I, once I made a decision in my life to let that go and to live my life in the moment, um, that was cathartic. And so this was just kind of, if you will, a, a, a check on how well I had been able to do that. So, um, to the extent that I was able to, to stay with it, I think the challenge for me was, oh, 
do I really want to tell people all of this stuff? And, and seeing that's where <laughs> I'm trying to get to, right? Like, that level of vulnerability. Yeah, it, it, it was, okay, I know I should do this. I know I got to do it, but ooh, do I really want to do it? Because once it's out there, you can't control what happens with it. And you don't get to, people will dissect and take it out of context. And so I had to just say, you know what? I can't be worried about that. There are going to be people that don't like it. Or, you know, that's just, nobody gets 100% in terms of likes. You go on YouTube, you have yet to see any YouTube that has a whole bunch of likes. There's always somebody, I don't care if it's the nicest, cutest, cuddly baby, somebody's going to say, oh, they're going to dislike it for some reason. So I, I had to just decide within myself that I don't care about that that I know why I'm doing this, and me and the creator are, are good with what I'm doing. And, and I'm actually doing the work that I've been inspired to do. And so if I help five people and 25 people don't like it, okay, I've done my job. I've done what I needed to do, and I'm good with me. So it was cathartic in that sense. Okay, okay, Dr. Smith, you mentioned YouTube. I was on YouTube. I was looking at a little kid singing Jesus loves me. People <laughs> downvoted that. So if they'll downvote that, they'll downvote just about anything. I'll tell you, so, they will. Yeah, but I know you were mentioning anecdotally about the child custody case, which is prominent in your book. Uh-huh. A lot of brothers are going through that kind of thing and can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing in your practice, are you seeing a lot of black males coming in to see you now? Yes, absolutely, absolutely I am, um, which I think is a beautiful thing, and I think through this process of, you know, we've been dealing with a lot of trauma. COVID, this racial trauma we've been dealing with, and, and you know, I, I touch on that in the beginning of the book. Um, the trauma that we experience in, as black men, we have been taught to hold it in, to never let, let, them, never let them see you sweat, never let them see you cry, right? Suck it up, be a man. And I think that when I think about the men in my life, my grandfather, for instance, who was a man's man and who didn't who didn't play the radio, it was like he was serious about his stuff. Um, it served a purpose for his time, right? And then my dad, same, you know, molded from my dad and all my uncles, men's men, that, that they are serious, they work hard, they're disciplined. Um, but they don't have the ability to t- tap into the other side. You know, so they're so masculine that they cannot um, admit pain and, and be in touch with the emotional trauma that they have experienced. And so um, I think in order for us to, as black men in this era, to be fully complete, we have to be able to appreciate what they had to do to, to lay the foundation for us to be where we are, but to do work and do things to so that our offspring and those the men that are coming after us can carry it a bit differently so that you can be strong, but you can also admit when you need help. And you don't have to pretend that you aren't in pain, but you can say, yeah, I am in pain, and this is what I'm going to do to move through that pain in a healthy and productive way. 
Okay, you talked about the 500-year-old baobab tree that you saw. Mm -hmm. That tree wouldn't have gotten to be 500 years old if it hadn't learned how to bend in a strong wind. So, Indeed. And a lot of brothers don't want to bend. You know, they want to be rigid right. and have no give in them. And so that's a very good analogy with mm -hmm. the tree that you talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have, um, I think that we look at all of this, the struggles that we face as black men in this, in this country, um, a lot of times we try to deal with those struggles in ways that don't really speak to us moving in a healthy way. Um, and that leads to things that are unhealthy whether it's alcohol abuse, gambling, uh, drug abuse, womanizing, what have you, uh, things that serve as just offshoots for us to try to make sense of something that really doesn't make sense. <laughs> like we, When you think about stupidity, like somebody doesn't like me because my skin is darker than them, if you really just stop and think about how utterly ridiculous that is because <laughs> my hair is different. So we're trying to make sense of that, but there is no sense of it. Yeah. And that causes us to potentially do things that don't, that don't speak in our best interest. Mm -hmm. And so it's about appreciating, understanding that, and then deciding to do something different, make a different choice. Recognize that other brothers are out there struggling. There are a lot of men's groups that have been started, and women's groups too, for that matter. Because women have their struggles as well. Um, but when we recognize our strength and our power and decide to collectively do something, mm -hmm. there's an energy that is unstoppable, I believe. And what I hope to do in, in this work is help people recognize and be inspired to tap into that energy. One of the things that, um, a question I got several times through the process of publishing this book was, um, were you as tolerant as your book states that you are? And most everyone that touched this book in some capacity, um, would ask, you know, oh my gosh, he went through so much. Is he, you know, is he that tolerant? Is he that patient? Is he, you know, is he really on that level of being? That question is going to come up more and more as this book actually comes out. Mm -hmm. How do you answer that <clears throat> outside of the, you know, like you said, the, li the life that you're living and, you know, how you've tried to heal? But how do you answer that? Because there's a strength there that not everyone has. Mm -hmm. And so I can see that being a question that someone, you know, says, okay, I don't know how he did this. I couldn't have done this. Or, you know, he's, I'm totally broken. Like, how do, how do I do this? How are you prepared to answer those questions? And how, how would you? Well, I'm thinking about it as you're asking me this question. And a couple things come to mind. Uh, so... A little background for me, I'm uh, a PK. A preacher's kid. <laughs> so I, was, I, was, I was raised in the Pentecostal church, and the values of Christianity were infused in me. And I've always been pretty serious in terms of listening to wisdom and listening to my elders, and just kind of, um, I've always watched people 
And so one of the foundational aspects of the way I work with people is aligning actions and values. Because I find that a lot of the troubles that people have come from a misalignment of their actions and values. In other words, people will say one thing and do completely another. I find that to be very hypocritical and I never wanted to be that myself. And so at a certain point in my story, right, um, I, I think I talk about this, but I, I very vividly remember uh, early on in my career talking to people about certain things and just reflecting to myself, wow, you should do that, <laughs> you know? But then I go on about my business and, and keep, keep doing what I was doing, and then life started knocking me upside the head and saying, no, you're gonna do what it is you, because your actions and values aren't aligned. So I had to then, as I started doing my work after my first marriage ended, and then after my second, at different iterations, I had to go back and do more and more of the work to get my values and my actions aligned for me. Um, and so I don't really care what people's values are. It's not for me to say. You live your life, it's between you and your creator, if that's what you believe in. Your values get to be your values, but if you come to me for help, my job is to be a mirror, a reflection, to help you see, are you really doing what it is that you say that you're doing? And that can be a pretty thankless job because sometimes people get, get upset when I'm pointing this out. Now I always say, listen, I'm not, I don't wake up coming to work to piss people off, but I gotta keep it real with you so that you can have the movement that you want in terms of healing yourself. So as I was doing that for myself, I had to say, am I being a hypocrite or am I going to have my values and actions aligned? And so um, I remember when I was in court um, in the custody situation with my second, it was custody and everything else. It was, and I'm in court and the information that's being conveyed is an absolute fabrication. It is a, just a lie. It, it wasn't a, a perception or, you know, um, well, you saw it this way. It was just a flat out lie. And I was just sitting there. I had a, a rose quartz crystal. I was working on my heart chakra and my healing. And I was just spinning the crystal and I was just remaining calm. And my attorney later told me that people in the courtroom looked at the way I was behaving and thought I wasn't um, flabbergasted enough. I wasn't outraged enough um, at the lies that were being told. And which said to me, like, so you want me to pretend to be like I'm doing the work to stay calm because these lies are just. I got to do the work. And doing that work, it was interpreted in a way that clearly was not the case. My dad was there in the courtroom and he said to me, I don't see how you can do it. It's remaining so calm when you know these people are lying. And I looked at him as if this, and I said, well, this is, these are the values that you taught me all my life. Like, what do you mean? This is what you preach about all the time. If I'm only doing what's been instilled in me, and you should be able to do this too. 
if you really believe what you say you believe. So all that to say, um, my approach was to remain in the space of peace throughout all the different things that I've gone through. Now, let's, not, let's be clear. <laughs> I am not saying that everything happened to me because in any confrontation, there are two sides. And I try to make sure I present my side of what I did. And, you know, if I, if I try to be balanced in that. And, you know, uh, well, that, that will come out. There's no question of balance there, mm -hmm. right? I think uh, there's no question of balance. It's, just, it's, it's your story, mm -hmm. right? So people are reading your story, right? right? But I so, don't want people to think that I'm like, oh, woe is me. All oh, this no, stuff no, is no. happening. And I did, I, I, listen, I... I did some stuff. Yeah, no. <laughs> and no. I had to do some work to move past that stuff. But yeah. the way I attempt to carry myself and the way I attempt to be as a man in that evolutionary process of doing the healing work was, in fact, to embody those values that I say are important to me. And so that's what you see reflected there. Okay, Dr. Smith, we can't ignore the pandemic. How... Has the pandemic changed the type of people who come to you seeking assistance, and has it changed the issues that people bring to you? Hmm. It has. Um, it has added another level um, because the trauma of the pandemic is very unique. So I, I saw just yesterday a headline in the Miami Herald where they were saying that there the school system, the public school system, is going to have to hire a whole lot of mental health workers to come in um, for all the students that will have experienced the trauma of COVID to deal with that. And the, the school district in Miami is one of the largest in the country. And so I imagine that other school districts across the United States are also doing a similar thing. Because this pandemic is something no one has ever dealt with, well, in the past 100 years. Like the last pandemic was 1918. So there are very few people that were alive then, and even the ones that were alive were kids. So um, they can't really pull on that experience to help them with this particular pandemic. And so the trauma of being, so there's a lack of control, right? Because no one knew when this was gonna be over. No one knew when they could go back to work, when they, would, when they could go outside, when they could see their family, hug their loved ones, right? So there, that, that lack of control caused some trauma. There was the watching people suffer and watch the numbers you know, climb astronomically. Uh, a lot of people had to bury um, several members of their family within weeks of each other. So all these various traumas on top of uh, racial trauma, on top of just our own individual traumas, um, created uh, a sense where people were just bursting at the seams and couldn't take it anymore. And so this then added another focus to the work in terms of helping people appreciate that what they're feeling they're supposed to be feeling because nobody is Nobody prepares to deal with this. Um, and so it allowed us to then help people frame it in a way that we can talk about it and work through it in a way that allows them to be restored to health. 
um, in an optimal state of being. Okay, I know you've written a, written columns for the Saunders Report, mm -hmm. my newspaper, and I'm wondering how you you wrote one column about how these problems are being manifest, and how exactly are people dealing with them? Are they drinking more, smoking, drugs, sleeplessness? Yeah. How exactly are people dealing with these problems? All of the above and more, right? Uh, people are isolated or have been, you know, now, now people are <laughs> coming out to woodworks and everybody's happy to be back out, you know. Yeah. It's amazing to me that we went from wearing masks to not wearing masks seemingly overnight. Um, but all of those things were happening. People felt like, I don't know what to do. I'm just closed up in this house and it's driving me crazy, right? So. Let me just drink a little more. Um, let me just smoke. Let me just get away, dis disassociate myself from the reality of what's happening right now. Um, and so as we were able to help people look at that and see um, how they were making a choice, we want to encourage people to make a conscious choice rather than an unconscious choice. So rather than just, okay, well, let me just go over here and, and, and drink drink uh, drink, a, drink a glass of wine or several. Um, let me get out and move. Let me do some exercise. Let me call some friends that I haven't talked to in a while and connect with them. Let me think about what my next project will be that I can uh, take care of. Let me deal with some of these things around the house that I've been putting off, putting off, putting off that I can um, now have the time to attack. Let me read a book. Let me unplug. So helping people to deal with positive things that allow, uh, again, for movement through the trauma um, to a more balanced space of being. Yeah, well, getting a bottle of yak is easier than going out to the track or running and stuff like that, right? So it is. That's a temptation is. that people have to deal with. It is. And yeah. be aware of what that is yeah. for yourself. I never mm -hmm. tell anybody not to do something. Mm -hmm. I ask the question, is this helping you? You tell me how this is benefiting you, and if you can um, give a give an answer that adequately lines up with your values, keep doing what you're doing. If what you're doing is not bringing you any harm or causing any discomfort or any disruption in your family, keep doing what you're doing. But if it is, then you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this, and do I need to change? Do I need to switch it up? Do I need to avoid that yak? Right. <laughs> So what was the most challenging part of this book for you to write? Um, I think the most challenging part, I would say was the historical part because I know the history, but I had to make myself do the research. And I had been out of, I had been out of research since dissertation mode <laughs> so I had to I had to but I, I had a lot of things that came along that helped me out I went to the lynching museum in Montgomery and that just sparked and inspired a whole lot of things um, and those questions I ended up kind of altering the way I did it but I wanted to raise a lot of questions that would have been maybe too much too much for people <laughs> it, you know because it, it, it can it can when you're thinking about um, asking people to, to you know, I, like I like to look at old pictures mm -hmm. and think about what were the people in these pictures thinking during the time that this was happening, right? 
Um, but that can be a bit overwhelming for someone that's not accustomed to doing that. Uh, but I got inspired to, in different ways, to kind of um, bolster the history. And, and, and I just came across different things that were very timely and I was able to add stuff here and there. But that was the more challenging aspect because I had to um, do more research and do more, and it took more time to kind of, you know, flesh that out and, and weave it in to the real life aspects of what I wanted people to see. So I wanted people to be able to read the book and appreciate um, I wanted it to not be a technical book, so to speak, but something that people could relate to. Um, that there are technical aspects, but that it's also relatable, and anybody can pick it up and read it and get something from it. Um, so one of my mentors talks about being able to um, write it and say it in a way that people can understand it. Because academics, a lot of times, write for each other. like. Because nobody else understands what the hell you talk. It's like, what does that mean? You're using these words and you use these phrases, and so it's not getting through. So what becomes the purpose of writing it? Just to impress other people, like intellectual masturbation. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have something that people could touch and feel. Um, and so, yeah, that was. I think those were the the challenges. I would say. Um, but talking about myself, that that part. Um, one might think that was challenging, but not so much. That was easy. That that came out. Um, and once I wrapped my mind around letting people, not not caring about what people are going to think about it, yeah, that became very easy. And of course, the healing aspect, which is the third part, that's what I talk about all the time. So I love talking about um, what people can do to heal and, and move past trauma. So. Well, I think the book is very relatable, and I think when people read it, they'll find that you don't have to be a PhD to understand it. And not only is it helpful, but it's a page turner, because I wanted to keep seeing what else was going to happen to you and how you were going to deal with it <laughs> in some of these situations you were in. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah. I, I think readers will get a kick out of that. Yeah, and I, and I left a lot out. I mean, it's only... Oh, of course. <laughs> we can't tell everything. <laughs> it's probably a tenth of the... Yeah, of the story, but I think you can get the, the gist of, of a lot of the things that were occurring there. Well, I'm glad you said that, Barry, uh -huh. because um, you wrote the foreword for the book. I did. Mm -hmm. And one, and I'm not going to read this foreword. You have to get the book to do that. But I'm going to place emphasis in one area that I uh, really liked. You said, Barry, <laughs> that um, the Nobel Prize winning author Ernest Hemingway wrote, the world breaks everyone and afterward many are strong at the broken places. Anyone who reads this book and heeds Dr. Smith's insights will be stronger too, whether they're broken or not. How does that make you feel? I think that captures the essence of why I would write this book. Um, I was saying to someone the other day who was asking me about work in psychology, um, how much I love doing what I do, and it is, um, it is exactly what I'm here on this earth to be doing, and I enjoy doing it so much I do it even when I'm not trying to do it. You know, I talk to people on a plane, 
in the store. I just, and, and if someone is willing to engage the process and do the work, I will give them all types of time to help them along. Cause I, it's like, I love to see the light shine when people are actually putting in the effort to make their lives better. So that encapsul that that quote and that statement encapsulates um, what it is I wanted to do um, with that book, and that's that's a, a great endorsement. It really warms my spirit to to know that I was able to achieve the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think you achieved it. Yeah. What would you say, or what would you think? Jack McMillan, Flora Blue McMillan, Robert Smith, Lily Calloway, and Thelma Moncour would say. Hmm. Those are my people. Um, uh, Jack McMillan and Flora Blue are the oldest descendants that I know of that my cousin did the research going back in our family. The names that we know, of course there are those that came before and before and before. Um, and we honor them even though we don't know their names as well. Um, and then my grandparents, um, who I do, who I did know, um, and still do, you know, even though they've transitioned on, I still feel their spirits and their energies um, with me. And I know and believe that they are extremely proud and happy that their struggle, their sacrifice, the various traumas that they had to endure um, resulted in their progeny being able to produce something that can now bring light and illumination and healing to so many. And even within our family and within our lifeline. So I think they, I think they're very happy to know that I'm a direct reflection of them and that they put in me seeds that produce some good work. Um, and I have to give all the honor and credit to them for paving the way. So you talked about pretty much every aspect of the book. Let's just talk about you and your connection to this book being released. It's coming. Are you prepared for what's going to come about when this book is released? Are you prepared for that change and that transition in, in your life? Because we already know that this book is about to be a life changer for not just the reader, but for you. Are you prepared for it now? Are you preparing? Well, you already have a suit to wear on Oprah. What she you already picked out what you're going to wear on Oprah calls. Well, um, you know, it's, it's people keep saying things like that. I'm just like, well, um, whatever is for me is for me. I'm living my life 86-4. And so if it sells 25 books, I already sold 25. But if it sells a hundred <laughs> copies, or if it well, sells, already done you know, that too. Uh, yeah, we yeah, it, it doesn't matter to me. Um, uh, nothing is going to change who I am. I'm still gonna live my life the way I do. I'm still gonna play golf. 
I'm still going to help people, um, you know, do this. I'm still going to dance. It's not, I, I'm not that, that person that um, will change. I just, I like my life. I like the way I'm living my life and the person that I've become. And I just want to help as many people as possible be able to thoroughly enjoy and live life the way I'm doing it. Like to have no regrets and to just be in the moment. That's all I want to do. Mary J. Blige has a song called 25-8. I think we need to create a song called 86 Four. 86 Four, yeah. <laughs> That's a great marshal. 86 Four. Because uh-huh. well, okay. she has a song, No More Drama, too. So. <laughs> That's true, too. So you, you already be enlisting Mary J. to come do some stuff for us. So. Okay. Well, is there anything that you want to wrap up and say to your audience as it relates to this book? Well, I, I would just say thank you all for rocking with me and, and supporting this podcast all of these years and um, just putting forth positive energy and uh, support the book. Uh, give us feedback what you think about it. Um, I definitely want to hear how it impacts people, and I hope that it is going to do what we've talked about in terms of um, illuminating and allowing people to have a mechanism, a path to uh, true healing from the trauma that we all have to face at various times. Um, so I'm, I'm just very grateful and very thankful for this opportunity to inspire, to serve, and to, to be a voice. Um, very, very grateful. Gratitude is, is very important to me. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to uh, be a part of this panel of Mm-hmm. Yeah, interviewees for your book. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yes. Delighted to be yes. here. This was this was definitely pre- pleasurable, and of course, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And so we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Um, again, we appreciate you all doing this and the forum. And for our listeners, visit the website www.alasdalashay.net and check us out of course you know all of our social medias stuff stills the same that'll run right after this but um, we look forward to having you check us out in our next interview we got some uh, wonderful things lined up for this season so stay tuned and check us out and we'll be talking with you soon in closing I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being we always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit connect with us on Twitter at heart mind healer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is alashe.net, A-L-A-S-E dot net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing, running too fast to stop to listen.